Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Betfair Weighed In. Oh, Kevin is looking revved as always. Got a nice background today. He's not sat in a loo like he has been sometimes <laughs> the last three weeks. Uh, we have so much good racing to talk about. This is going to be a racing heavy podcast because we've just had an excellent weekend of action. And joining us today, a bit of a rarity, a bit of a special occasion, Dan Barber and his dream catcher. How are you, Dan? Catching uh, dreams over there. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll right. be the only one in t- in 24 hours' time who won't have had a skin for the HWPA. So I'm I'm, I'm feeling for you in advance. Oh, I'm going to be taking it handy enough. Don't you worry about me, Dan. And obviously, we've got Kevin Blake with us, who's got over to London a day early, just in preparation to be revved for the HWPAs, where he's not going to be picking up an award, though, are you, Kev? No, no, not this year, Vanessa, not this year. But what can you do? Can't win every year, I suppose. You can't win every year, and neither can Honeysuckle, it would seem. Look at the way we've just tied that in beautifully. Uh, we're just here off the back of seeing Honeysuckle being beat by Tia Poo and Classical Dream in the Hatton's Grace Hurdle, her unbeaten tag going with it. And as a result, she's now sixes from fours for the champion hurdle. And off the back of that, Constitution is now two to five, two to five for the champion hurdle in March. Um, my goodness, Dan, we're going to start with this because it's just happened. Let's get your instant reaction. Ah, what are you feeling now? It's slightly deflating, isn't it? But more so not for her getting beaten on the day. It's the implications, I think, of her getting beaten because now you're in the realms of Carlos Cynics. Will we maybe will we see her again? Will they retire as she's rising nine? And also, will we ever see an unsung honeysuckle take on an unsung constitution hill? And that's what we're all pining for when they were both A1 last springtime. And it's probably going to be denied the racing fan now because of circumstance. I mean, taken in isolation, I thought the run was all right. I think she, if anything, she possibly committed a bit too soon because we know she's got bags of speed, even though she's won that race before. And she sort of, injected pace into the race on the home turn wobbled at the second last looked like she might pick up again then she's been overwhelmed and sort of even closed back up again near the finish it was weird wasn't it? it's sort of like a relay you had first move honeysuckle second move classical dream and then the final move of all Tupu doing far better than he'd done at this level in two previous starts who nipped her near the line I mean, I'm going back to your original line of deflating. It's deflating, Kev. She's now fives from tens for the mayor's hurdle. And as Dan has touched upon there, are we actually going to see the matchup we all hope between an on-song honeysuckle taking an on-song constitution hill? It now looks, dare I say, unlikely. Yeah, probably unlikely. And it's oh. just sad. Look, it's, it's sad to see champions beat Vanessa and this mayor has been so good and... Last season, she really raised was raised up to kind of a higher standing than, than we tend to get in racing, like the herself, her partnership there with Rachel, etc. It was brilliant. Uh, and like, look, being being a bit hard headed about the thing, like, look, my view was that she was kind of maybe five or six pounds off her very best all the way through last season. Uh, and she was just able to keep winning because, you know, that was that's her. She's she's very, very good. And there, there isn't or certainly wasn't a whole lot of very good. Um, two mile herders knocking around the division, but it, when you take this run and look, we're always, I suppose, cautious of reading too much into one run. But you know, you 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 can't help but think that maybe she's just regress regressing a little bit. 
um, you know, passage of time, etc. I know she's only rising nine, but um, yeah, when you, when you tie it in with what she was doing last season, you know, you just fear that she's maybe five pounds below what she was last season again. You know, because she really should have been putting away this lot. Like she was, she put away Tihapu a number of times last season with, with ease. Um, and it's just a bit different because look, we're no. all getting excited about the, as Dan mentioned, the prospect of meeting Constitution Hill um, in a different world that would have happened last April. But more sensible heads prevailed, he says, with gritted teeth. Um, <laughs> And look, we're probably not going to get to see it. I know they made mention of, of it at the back end of last season with Honeysuckle. You know, look, she's going to come back for one more season in 2022-23. But look, if if she's not herself or if um, things don't go right, you know, we will, we will retire her. We're not going to keep running her for the sake of it. You know, she could be covered in a, in a couple of months if they wanted to. Breeding season opens in February. Might they do that? Do they want to see her beaten again? Do they want to take her back to Cheltenham when she's maybe not at her best? After all, she's done. You'd be fearful that 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 might be what happens. And, yeah. and look, look she's she's done so she's done so much. She's been brilliant. But yeah, that was that was deflating. Even either, just about to say, either you're really, really, really deflated, because I've rarely heard you like this with this sort of somber tone. Or you're hungover from yesterday's Betfair Tingle Creek outing. So which one is it, Kev Blake? No, I hardly, hardly had more to the point of my name now, Vanessa. Yeah, I was just I was I was delighted. I was I was really enjoying the card up until then. Someone give Kev a hug. Come on. But look, it's just that the, the roller coaster we've been taking out of this oh, in yeah. the last kind of six, you know, whatever it, you know, six months or whatever it was. Like I really wanted that race to happen last April. That would have been magical. And look, with the full set of information, Constitution Hill probably would have beaten her, I dare say. Um, but the build-up to it, the occasion, it would have been brilliant. It would have been everything the national racing needs. And you've got all the smart arses. Oh, wait next March. You know, that's the appropriate time for it to happen. And lads, there's a national hunt horses. Like going only a gobshite would, would be putting too much, you know, wait, looking looking 10 months ahead and, and assuming certainty of participation. Yeah, that window is so small, it's, isn't it? Or it, 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 it? We see it again and again in this day and age, more so than any, because we like to, to make it a bit bigger picture. Like we, we do train national hunter horses a lot differently now. We do condition young horses a lot differently. We, we get them to up to races earlier like winning point to points over fences as four-year-olds, like we can't assume that they're going to have these big, long, wonderful careers that, you know, the old backward store horse of 20 years ago might have been yeah. expected to enjoy. You know, we're, we're peaking them earlier and we have this stupid system where they go for a full season of bumpers, full season novice hurdles, full season novice chases on some occasions before we get them into open company. And it, it drives me nuts because I think we, we've completely lost sight of all the changes that we've made to the way we prepare national hunt horses and the program has stayed the same and it's to the detriment of the sport so sorry if i'm getting a bit kind of bigger picture and depressing but the, yeah. these cases like this just really for me shine a light on on the big problems in the game no to take it back to today v and the yeah. the defeat case the defense i'm sure henry won't maybe he's just tuning tuning but i doubt it um but her worst performance in inverted commas previously was arguably in this race because she absolutely scrambled home one year, didn't she, against Ronald Pump, off a layoff as well. 
So if they want to skew positive, she's been beaten by a, a borderline top-class stayer in classical dream over a trip that probably is slightly beyond her. Anti-Hoopoo just come out of the ground. I don't know where he's... I don't know where this came from, but she has gone through the race with all her old zest. She's shown a burst of pace initially, even if, as Kev suggests, she's still four or five off it. I'd be a bit disappointed if they do think now this is the time because she hasn't shaped like she's gone at all. And if anything, she probably ran better in defeat here than she did when she won this race in 2021. Okay, well, there is a positive spin to end the champion hurdle discussion after Kevin Blake's low. I mean, just go find the gun after listening to Kevin. And Dan's probably right. Look, uh, once the deflation eases back a little bit oh. and they go away and they think about it, going to Leopardstown for the Irish champion hurdle probably makes sense. And look, if it happens again, if she's beaten again, they can give it, you know, there's plenty of time. Henry can give her a real squeeze coming into that. And if it doesn't happen again, then you can perhaps bow out and go and get covered, etc. Okay. Uh, but if if she comes back and, and hopefully bounces back and wins, then you know you're back on for Cheltenham, etc. So maybe maybe I'm guilty of being a bit too. Options are still open. I think it's fair to say options are still open. Let's work backwards, lads, and stick with Fairy House because obviously there was two other Grade Ones on the card. We might as well talk with them whilst we're on the topic of Fairy House. Let's start with the Drinmore, which saw Mighty Potter win, um, making it two from two over fences. Obviously thrown into the deep end off the back of just that uh, debut performance over fences just a few weeks ago, straight into a Grade One. And I was so impressed with this. Kev, you've been a big Mighty Potter fan for a while. I think my big takeaway, and I don't know why I need to point this out because he's past the point of needing this pointing out, but Jack Kennedy is just a different gear altogether over fences, especially on those novices. The way, you know, Mighty Potter was far from perfect. He sort of stumbled a couple of times. He was low once. He was sort of, you know, he's still a work in progress. But the way Jack just doesn't panic, never interferes. I mean, those horses must feel like they're running free because he does so little interference from the saddle. So it was a brilliant ride, but I thought it was a brilliant performance from Mighty Potter. Yeah, I love, love, love this horse. Um, I've always been very fond of him. You know, the, the chasing debut, it wasn't spectacular, but you could see through the race, he was kind of getting better and he was very good late. And look, Gordon, I know Gordon, like, has loved this horse and the, the first time he ever spoke about him you can tell he had that that garden glint that, that i mentioned occasionally that you can tell he, he he's he, i think he's been bitten in the past by kind of letting his effusiveness out and making it public and you can tell he, he tries to rein himself back when he really really likes one but if you look and you know what to look for you can see it and he's had that with mighty potter from the get-go and um, it was a big ass to jump in against like much more experienced novice chasers here and look, he was very good in the main. He wasn't pitch perfect, like you say, but he, um, geez, he's, he's a good horse. He's a very good horse. And um, he, he's going to take high rank amongst those novices for sure. You know, bitterly disappointing at Cheltenham last year when he, look, he wouldn't have beaten Constitution Hill, you know, on his best day. But he just, I, I fancied him that day. And looking at him closely, if you watch it back, like he just didn't look right. He was yeah. hanging merrily and there was, there was just something not quite right with him that day. But, um, look, Gordon's got him back booming, and yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be a hard one to beat now for any of them. Um, trip wise, you could do different things with him. You can stay mid range. Um, I'm sure he could come back and trip without too much trouble. Um, so they have options. Um, too many options. Uh, uh, too many options. Let's not go down that route. Dan, <laughs> 
He's been cut to four to one uh, for the Turners. And for all, we've seen some nice novices this season. Are you with me and Kev that this lad ranks pretty much well up there with the best of them? Yeah, and as much as that, it's just bare achievements, isn't it? He's beaten a horse who was placed in Irish Grand National. You, you probably, I mean, we we were all, I think we're all together. Certainly me and V were for the Cheltenham Festival last season where we watched that, um, the Turners 12 months ago, and we witnessed the screens go at Cheltenham and left us with no <laughs> idea what had happened. As a racing moment, by the way, Dan, I will literally never forget that. No, no, well, I, it was bizarre, wasn't it? it yeah. the, ti- the time it was impeccable if you're a, some sort of sadist. But um, <laughs> the, the thing <laughs> that I'm getting at is that was, yeah, great head-to-head in, in prospect between Bob Ollinger and Galapan de Champs. But this race today would have been way more competitive, the Dream Mart, than basically any novice chase we saw at the festival last season. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just unbelievable depth to it. Horses of all blends. Guy Adam and Neil's already done it in handicaps, I say, like a, to finish third in Irish National. Bambridge, who'd created such a big impression. And if you're talking from a ratings point of view, I mean, it doesn't always translate, but I think almost a repetition of this from Mighty Potter would see him go very close, if not win something like the Turners. Obviously, there are plenty more cards to be played, but he's beating Guy Demonil convincingly by four and a half. He's, we're still only scratching the surface of his stamina. He was a high achiever at two miles, wasn't he, over hurdles, but he always gave the impression that the further he went, the, the better he would be. And I'm not one feet marker horses and yardsticks, but Bambridge done very little wrong. In fact, he'd done nothing wrong. He created a big impression in his two previous chase runs. And if people were saying, oh, we're worried about him dropping in trip at Cheltenham, there were no such concerns on that score today. And perhaps he didn't fire fully, but he's been beaten 14 lengths again. So just really deep, proper novice chase form, high caliber stuff. Like it. Like yeah, it. Just, just one thing I'd say about Banbridge now yeah. is the, the, the team were fairly upset now when the rain came. Um, did, didn't want that rain. Um, better ground, the better, the better horse he is. And that's kind of always been the case. So um, I thought he ran fine in the circumstances, but I'd be hopeful he'd get back to more like what we saw at Cheltenham um, on better ground, you know, potentially at Leopardstown at Christmas where you, you can often get nice ground. Yeah, I, I had similar thoughts about him. I'm definitely not losing hope with him just yet. Um, Royal Bond, chat, Marine National, flagged up by you, Kevin, on Racing Any Better. I don't think it was necessarily a tip as such, but you flagged him up as a horse to keep an eye on in the Royal Bond. Obviously beat Irish Point in a photo, Champ Kylie out the places, and Ashro Diamond flattered to deceive a little bit, came there on the bridle and didn't find a huge amount. Um, but Marine National... I mean, looks a pretty decent prospect for the team. Oh, he's a lovely horse. And I, I was looking forward to him. But then when it was revealed on, on Racing Only Better that he was like nine to four. Um, in, or something oh, yeah, like that, that was it. The, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> he, and, <laughs> and he ends up going off 11 to two. So if you've taken the nine to four, you feel like a right Egypt. But anyway, um, he was really good. Um, big, big win for Michael O'Sullivan, um, who wouldn't, I dare say, be a name that many of our British-based um, viewers slash listeners will be familiar with. Um, very young guy, not gone professional all that long. Um, is still entitled to claim five pounds. And um, Barry Connell, who, who I suppose everyone knows Barry Connell this days, don't they? You know, former, very prominent owner. Um, has you know created his own yard and had various trainers in there and now he has license himself 
um, like very ambitious guy has done a lot of building, invested a huge amount into the game without, I dare say, a gigantic return um, in terms of grade one wins, etc. So this would have been massively sweet for him. He appointed Michael O'Sullivan there as his retained rider, despite his, you know, quite inexperienced um, profile. He's, you know, investing in the future. And, and this horse, like he, he did give this horse a lovely cool ride. And it looked like he was coming there to win quite well. And he just made a bit of a hames at the last. And you're, I just, I was cringing watching it, going, "Oh God, he's gonna, he's gonna fly home and finish second. You know, clearly should have won. And it's going to be a bit miserable for all concerned. But he, he found the line well enough to just get up late. So I was delighted for that team. He does seem a, a, a really nice horse. Um, the usual suspects won't get as excited about him because he's not trying one of the big guns. If you if you stuck a pair of pink and lime green silks on him <laughs> and Willie Mullins beside his name, he'd probably be seven to four for for um for the Supreme. But um, the I, I think I think he's a particularly nice horse. He's only one ahead, but he was valued for much better than that. Um, he was coming into it straight enough a maiden a hurdle win. You know he can only but improve. Um, uh, it would be a mistake to underestimate him now as a potentially top class novice. I, I think he's very nice. Okay, okay, let's not underestimate him then. Any further takeaways from the Royal Bond, Dan? No, I just double down on Kev's comments on the jockey because it's remarkable that he's he's not only is he passing the test in these races, he's really impressive. I was at Cheltenham the other month when he rode a winner there in a big field handicap hurdle, and He's still able to claim, as Kev says, but he can't claim in these races that he's tended to keep nowadays because Barry Connell seems to have a really good batch of young horses like Enniskelly and horses like that. The remarkable thing being, if he was based over here, he could ride for Barry or Con- for Barry Connell in a in a conditionals race and he could be claiming seven or ten. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, would, you might as well not run races if he's able to claim seven or ten against contemporaries because he looks freakishly good. As Kev says, he's not one of those names that was knocking your eye out early on, but fair play to Barry. He's identified an extremely good young rider. Okay, okay. Positives about the rider then. Um, let's move on to Sandown chat. And of course, it was the Betfair Tingle Creek. First and foremost, Kevin Blake, tell us some funny anecdote from the day, please. You were there. Who, who disgraced themselves? Who was pissed? Did Barry order anything outrageous? Anyone fine in the paddock? <laughs> a, bunch of, a bunch of professionals here, Vanessa. Anybody representing punches? Repre- yeah. represented, represented the brand on track? Absolutely not. Um, no no, no punch-ups or, or confrontations or any, any such dramas this year. Me but, and Dan um, are still presuming that our invitations got lost in the post. I'll obviously reiterate my address to Barry or when I get off this call. <laughs> <laughs> but that lovely day Jesus, it was cold I got off the plane there for, from Cork in the morning and um, for like in, in a, in a rare case where, where England is colder than Ireland that was the case but anyway great crowd like I think I believe they were sold out um, it felt like a great crowd um, Sandown magic track you know that, that kind of natural amphitheatre there in the paddock a lovely place to go racing and uh, there was a great buzz about like the Tingle Creek you know, in terms of ratings, maybe hasn't been, you know, one of the better ones of the last 20 years. But in terms of competitiveness, it, it was up there, wasn't it? And it, it produced a very good contest, very, you know, an, an enjoyable contest to watch. I know there was some bubbles burst, etc. But in Edwardstone, Vanessa, we have a, um, oh God, how would you call, because you call him a working class hero. He's, he's a horse. Mm. I know. He, yeah, I think he you does could. an awful lot of winning, but he doesn't get a whole lot of credit. Yeah, what is that about? What is that about? I don't know. Like, geez, he, he had the most thoroughly admirable novice chase campaign last season. Like, they ran on loads and he kept winning. 
Um, now, Aintree did take a bit of shine off him for me. You know, I was very sweet on Maudbury through the season. He was very good at Cheltenham. And he gets to Aintree and he gets beat. And you're just like, ah, feck. You know, <laughs> you would have loved him to, to, to really put, put a cap on what had been a, a pretty unblemished season. Bar, bar the first um, getting brought down his first day over, um, his first run of last season. Um, but look, I think you can maybe step back from that now and just say, look, it was, what was it, his, his seventh run mm. of his novice chase season. And maybe just a little bit of the spark was, was dimmed on in that day. And he got caught by a good horse and gentleman to me. Um, but look, freshened up. Um, he produced the best run of his life. And there was absolutely no fluke about it. Tom Cannon, fair play to him. He rode him. Um, if this was a flat race, he rode him like Nijinsky. Like he, he rode him with loads of confidence. Waited, waited, waited. And um, Jesus, he bolted away from a, from an established, you know, top grade one chaser in Grenatine. And to me... There was no fluke about this. There was well, no, on the basis that we know no stones that, to throw at it. Yeah, on the basis that we know that Granatine would have been prime for his life for that day. Again, given that that's his Gold Cup, that's his moment. We knew that going into it. We know what a target trainer Paul Nichols is. There's no part of me that thinks that they've missed with Granatine. I think that was his running, yeah, and, and he, this he horse went past beforehand. He was the pick of the paddock. He looked. He looked in great shape. Granatine. Uh, Granatine. Yeah. Look, yes. Yeah. Looked in great condition. You know, skin looked fantastic. Um, Tony Calvin agreed as well. You know, the <laughs> paddock judge loves all that stuff. Um, <laughs> the Calvin skin looked fantastic. Just about to say, but look, he, he was he was really good, and you have to put some a lot of respect on his name now because he has just introduced himself in in a big way as dare I say the best two mile chaser in Britain, Ooh. and um, and it, it's. Uh, could you deny him that title? I don't no. think you can. He, he's just he's just booted Shishkin clean out of the division now, hasn't he? Shishkin's well, going to go up and he's going to go up and trip. Um, Grenatine, how can he reverse this form? You know, it's a nine lengths is a lot of lengths. No, he's um, not reversing it. But Anergamine still the rightful favourite for the Queen Mother Champion Chase at thirteen to eight. Edward Stone cut to 11 to four from a massive eight prior to the Tingle Creek. Um, I guess the big question and the big thing now is in regards to Shishkin. Obviously, that was the horse we were looking forward to seeing probably the most in the Tingle Creek. And what did you make of his performance, Dan? And where, where next for Shishkin? Yeah, concerning really, wasn't it? And I think so. I mean, we wouldn't have had, you wouldn't have been able to back him five to four pre-race if this race was 12 months ago. Um Lot of to say on this race, really. Start with the Edward Stone thing. Just yeah, two visits to Sandown that Kev's seen both of them, and I saw last year. He's smashed them up in the Henry VIII 15 lengths, and he's won a Tingle Creek by nine. So he's clearly very effective at this track. I agree with Kev that, in hindsight, even though he was a massive poster boy and should remain so for busy campaigning of horses, Aintree, where he wasn't disgraced, still wasn't him in, on song at the end of a long season. But... He's he is a bit of a poster boy because he's shown by coming back even better that horses needn't be set back by having hectic campaigns of six or seven runs as he had. So great credit for King. You took a bit of flack for withdrawing him twice, but he's gone. He's got him spot on. I was interested post racing his interview with Tom Stanley where he was saying that he'd actually galloped the horse a couple of uh, at Hendo's. Hendo had kindly given him his facilities, you know, just for an away day and. I think Hendo was quite bullish that Shishkin would kick him out of the way, etc. But nice camaraderie between the, the jumps trainers there. But the other thing to note as well, and I agree now, whether he'd beat 
the Shishkin that pushed that beaten Ergen in last season is a different matter. But as they stand, um, you'd have to rate him on current evidence a better horse than Shishkin. And what did Ergamin really do in winning last season? He was left with a bit of a penalty kick, wasn't he? So those yeah. doubts that people had about his effectiveness at Cheltenham may still remain. And there's no such concerns, I don't think, with Edward Stone. So I do think there's, there's less between them than the market would have you believe. But my final point on this soliloquy, um, it just, you know, the idea of it maybe doesn't apply greatly with Grenatine because he's already won grade one races, but the that sort of impossible to equate difference in class of races, you know, top level handicappers, big performances in handicaps and not always translating to, to grade one company. I mean, I've, I've got a list. I ran a list off. There's been 33 of them since 2000 who've gone for who've won a handicap of a mark of 160 or more. So like proper handicap performances, four of them net were never seen again. I mean, the 29 that, that did run, I think, um, I think 10 of them have gone for a grade one on the, on their next appearance. But the remarkable thing is the only four that have won a grade one on the back of winning a handicap. How's this for a list of names? Um, Bobsworth won a gold cup after a Hennessy. Um, Florida Pearl won an Irish Hennessy. Denman obviously won a Gold Cup after his. And the final one was Carto Star won a Betfair Chase after winning an old Roan. So this assumption that you've run to a massive rating in a handicap of 170, that means you can just win a grade one because you only have to be 170 to win a grade one, doesn't always tally. And it shows you the quality of horse you need to, to make that direct correlation. Yeah, Dan, it's, all, it's almost as if when these top horses run in, big handicaps that they're actually really precisely well yeah and they're, and they're not achieving it they're not achieving as much as we think they are but, uh, <laughs> we've got a very good that, 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 that would be a bit kooky and off the wall this is why we had Dan Barber on the show this week just to <laughs> really back up Kevin's big handicapping point that he's been banging on about for a good few well I was the, gonna the say- last the last nine I think the only one who's won a grade what the last one nine to have won a handicap of 160 or more the only ones who've won a grade one subsequent I think was Frodon who did it in that King George that he controlled a couple of years ago so it, maybe they've become less frequent the top level horses who because as Kev says they are gun shy of running handicaps but um, yeah that, that inbuilt class edge is such an absolutely massive thing and that's why these top horses can win them and it doesn't always mean they're going to then win a group grade one after yeah, and just, on Sh- just on Shishkin it. Vanessa he he, we'll make it quick. No, he got kicked at the start Um and he did, he did his party trick to jump and left a couple of times. And I tell you, watching the race after about two or three furlongs, oh, God, you know, mm. I thought he was quite behind the bride, Lairdy. He did grab hold of it eventually. Um, but, yeah, you know, back over back over a little bit longer trip going the other way around. Um, hopefully he can he can get back his mojo. But you would be a little bit fearful. You know, he, he's had a wind up this time last year he's had this kind of bone issue there after last March you just worry that even though he's the same as Honeysuckle later rising nine that there might be a bit of regression starting to kick in there well fingers crossed there's not but this ties nicely into two points now the first of which is anybody even touting the notion that the clash with Energumine back in January whenever it was at Ascot is the end of was the end of of Shishkin Please just get in the bin. Just walk into the, in the bin and stay there. 
Just but also, how so what if it was the horses that are there to race? And if they have a hard race on the way and it has an adverse effect on them, that happens. That <laughs> happens. Race. And it's, it's all these young fellas, Vanessa, young fellas and young women there that are relatively new to the game and they've spent all their racing lives listening to the likes of Nicky Henderson painting this narrative that the horse, these horses are delicate wallflowers that, you know, oh, you can't run them if it's not, unless you get yeah, Goldilocks but... ground and Goldilocks this, you know, things have to be just right. Let's go back and look at the way Nichols used to campaign Cotto Sire and horses like that. Go back and pick and educate yourselves, lads. But also... Any hardy, these horses, if you just run them. And of course, this now brings us nicely onto one of the talking points from the week as we diverse just divert just slightly onto Gordon Elliott coming out and saying that... <laughs> Uh, all the ducking and diving we do in the UK and not having a proper race has a detrimental effect, basically, on um, our results come the spring festivals. I mean, he's he's got quite a bit of flack for that notion, but <laughs> or against him, Kev. Actually, what do you think? <laughs> I know. Oh, I know the answer had, to this he had, he had them all on strings. Nichols, Henderson, Skelton, they all came out and said, oh, no, that's, that's absolutely not the case. Yeah. <laughs> Hilariously, Nichols, I love Nichols, you know I do. And I think he's without question the punchiest campaigner of a national horse in the UK. Oh, but yeah. he, he came out and basically said, it's all a load of bollocks. We don't do that. But we're not going to run against John Bond this week. Don't fancy that. <laughs> we weren't sure if it was bollocks or bullshit. We weren't sure if it was bollocks or bullshit because it was B and then seven asterisks. So actually, I don't want to misquote him. He might have said bollocks and not bullshit or bullshit and not bollocks. Well, I, well I'm just glad the Racing Post protected our eyes from such profanity. Well, I'm, some, I'm glad somebody taught it to children. <laughs> Either way. It reminded me very much, Vanessa. I don't know if you how much of an interest you paid in football in the early 2000s when you were <laughs> you were young but there was a time when Alex Ferguson wound Rafa Benitez up so much that Rafa Benitez <laughs> did a press conference with a pre-prepared statement about facts and it was sort of like went down in folklore amongst United fans as like this is the moment we broke Rafa that's, it, it reminds me too I mean when I was at college at Ashton Sixth Farm in, in Tameside, there was some hoodlums one day were sat in the common room and they threw a load of fireworks into the common room that were lit. <laughs> and that level of chaos is basically what, what Gordon set up by <laughs> firing this, this piece of data. And above all, from a human level, he probably doesn't even think it, but these trainers are asked for quotes all the time, and he's probably just having a bit of mischief, isn't he? But good on Gordon. No, that, not, Gordon's not great, like, but... Not a Wait, single you... duck given, literally. Yeah, look, just... And I, I've been at those press functions in gardens. Like when you get him up in his owner's room, there, like he, he talks very loosely. Like he, he's very candid. Good and, on him. Um, and look, he, he's right. Yeah, like he, he only he only told the truth. It might hurt their precious little ears, but it, it's it's the truth. And look, I, I, and I've said it many times. Like I don't want to knock British trainers for ducking and diving. You know, because ultimately it's their job to make the make the best of their horses for their owners. It's the program that's at fault. You know, it's the yeah. it's the program allows ducking and diving. And I think that was Gordon's point ultimately, is yeah. that you could set out to duck and dive in Ireland, but you just won't end up running because there's there's not many opportunities to duck and dive. The the program and now the Irish program is not perfect. I would prune out a whole heap of races if, if I was put in charge, but it does succeed largely in funneling um, the best horses together. And because we have so many good horses in Ireland, it just makes it very difficult to find 
soft touches with regularity. Whereas in the UK, you know, if you have a nice horse, you can you can you can you can navigate your way through the pre. You can dive. You can dive. As, an, as an as an well, as an shot, all you like, you know. Leading nicely on to John Bon winning the Henry VIII Novices Chase at Sandown on Saturday. Um, coming back to you, Kev. I mean, I thought you'd quite. I, I might be preempting this, but my prediction is that you quite like this performance because you're a big one for. You know, we're always wanting to see these sort of electric novice two mile chases at Sandown down sort of do electric sort of slightly erratic things and put in wow jumps he's capable of doing that but he's tidy when he's in short as well and he's neat and professional and it hit me as the sort of performance that wasn't like absolutely sprinter sacra simon sig-esque in terms of going holy mother of god what was that but it was slick and professional I thought which is much more to the liking of winning over these sort of trips really that's what we want really at this sort of trip yeah like he he, he kind of uh, you know you watch him closely and he, he, he like you say he's likable he does it mm-hmm. the right way um you know he didn't have a depth of opposition here but you know the likes of Boot Hill is, is a is a is a grand horse you know without being without ever likely to be you know, a, a proper grade runner. Um, but John Bond put him away well. Like, God, I tell you, I know, it, and it's probably a product of there being a, a dearth of really exciting horses knocking around. But geez, the last couple of weeks now, fellas have been getting very overexcited, I find, when these horses do come out. Like, uh, like I'm, and I'm not ready to knock him on, but, you know, it's not like he, he kicked this field out of the way by 25 lengths. He did it by eight. And, you know, so that, that's the only thing I can pick at, really. Um, like, like he, he's beaten a, a bunch of kind of, you know, well, a couple of kind of 140s horses by eight lengths. And that, that's kind of it. Um, you know, onwards to to deeper challenges. is Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, he was already short at two to one for the Arkle. He managed to cut him to seven to four off the back of it. But I mean, he can't really get much shorter, Dan. And it it was a perfectly nice performance. I, I definitely wasn't in the department of people getting sort of pretending that this is the best day of their racing life, basically. No, but a bit similar to that Drimmore. You did, as I said with Boot Hill, it wasn't quite the level of form that Guy Adam and Neil brought from an Irish national, but Boot Hill had still won well in a handicap of 140 at the time before he's he's kicked him out of the way. He looks a very natural chaser, doesn't he? He's exuberant, athletic. Um, and I suppose I've always felt El Fabiolo might be the better prospect of the pair going back to last season, but we've just not seen sight and sign of him yet. He's still got two entries at Christmas. One's over two and a half, and you wonder if that's portents that he'll be heading to that longer distance race rather than meeting. Don't, don't read it until he enters. No, I possibly shouldn't. <laughs> As he says himself after making a highly expensive entry with a King George, after it's just an entry. Yeah. It's, <laughs> of course they're not going to run. <laughs> yeah, so it's all right, isn't it, when the, when the cash doesn't matter that much. Well, one thing I would say in the hindsight of, of John Bond, though, and I know John Bond um, didn't run to his best in that Supreme because he got engaged rather too far out with Dysart Dynamo. But how could a horse be good enough to beat him 22 lengths as Constitution Hill did? Mm. I mean, it is it is off the scale stuff. I spent all week answering questions about, oh, it's hype rather than substance. Give me strength. I mean, this is mm. this horse is an absolute sensation. And God bless her, but even an unsung honeysuckle, I don't think we'll get close to him. No, it's just all comes back to the horse, the horse of the year, Constitution Hill. Um, other quick horses to mention at Sandowns. We've got a load of other things to cover as well. Um, authorized Speed, Dan. 
uh, has been cut for the Albert Bartler and the Ballymore off the back of taking another novice hurdle race at Sandown for the Moors. Uh, I don't know if you heard Josh Moore, he was on Get In on Friday mm. night talking about this horse and he quite a funny anecdote in regards to when he rode him in the champion bumper and he thought he was coming there to win the race and then the Irish lot went past him like he was stood still basically. But he spoke about this horse in glowing terms then. He went, you know, he's won again. Um it might not be a horse that is on lots of people's radar, but I think they think plenty of him, don't they? Well, yeah, did the best of the British in that champion bumper. I think he's a really good horse. Was it market raised in the day where people say that's the unluckiest winner loser I've ever seen, but this actually was. I mean, it was remarkable how close he went to winning when he just didn't get a run until about 50 yards out. I mean, the closest to it would be when um, Good Risk at All ran at Warwick last season. I mean, I certainly wouldn't. You mentioned the, the three-mile race. I definitely wouldn't have that in mind for him. He's a, he's a speed horse. He's an authorised, but he looks he looks very pacey to me. I like what you've done there. He's a speed horse and he's an authorised and he's called Authorised Speed. So yeah, I didn't actually think of that. Yeah, pretty unoriginal naming really, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> it I want to give them a runner-up a mention as well, though, because Immortal for Henderson, there was money for him against the horse in Authorised Speed, who obviously set a really high standard for that race. Mm. Um, and he was fairly tight in the betting against authorized speed and has given him, if not, not a scare, he's, he's kept him honest for a long way. The market suggested they think a lot of him and to say he had absolutely no experience of racing, running up against a champion bumper fifth. I mean, you could run him in any novice hurdle next time the runner up and he'd just win it, wouldn't he? Okay. Like it. Couple to take out of that race. And then Kevin. Yeah, Vanessa, you know what my highlight of Sandown was yesterday. You surely know this. Because we were taken to, we were we were taken to the max at Sandown. David Maxwell. David Maxwell. Oh, oh yes. Oh, I could have <laughs> in a drive in a driving finish. Come on, a, the max. In a driving finish. Don't think about it too deeply. Everyone talking about the runner-up. This was about it being taken to the max. By David Maxwell. Well, should we cover? I was going to. I was going to come to that after Love Envoy, but let's tackle it now. Poor Brett Ben Bromley. I mean, all joking aside, like great for David Maxwell and his biggest fanboy in Kevin Blake. But your heart goes out to the kid Ben Bromley, who has just made a genuine error here. And I get it; he was going to have to have a fine for it, but and a, and a, sorry, a ban for it. He's misjudged the winning post. He's he's ridden out to the first winning post when actually it was the second winning post. It's happened before. It's Sand down, it'll happen again. I guess my biggest question here, and it was one that was raised on luck on Sunday, is are we allowed to mention other shows? Whoops. Um only ATR ones, I think. Only ATR ones. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, just the angle of, you know, he's got 28 days for misjudging a winning post by what is it, three, three strides. And your man Neil Callan got literally less than half of that for misjudging the finish by a whole circuit. I just don't understand the logic there. You'd think they would be the same band, wouldn't you? But I don't equally, I don't think you can have, I don't think you have grades of this. The fact is, you, whether you've mistake the winning post, two furlongs or four furlongs, or you do it five strides from the line, the, the ultimate effect is the same, isn't it, in most cases? Yeah. I mean, the, the headline really should have been uh, Ben Bromley mistakes winning post and stops riding. Maxi just looks like he has. 
I mean, the irony that it was David Maxwell who ended up getting up in the finish is just classic. Didn't Bromley get a ban for the whip as well, though? Did he get? A- he did, yeah. Yeah, so he yeah, got a ban yeah. for overuse whilst mistaking the winning post. That is quite the double, but he does look very yeah, promising. Well, well, he, he, he mistook the winning post for a winning post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think it's quite easy to do. Like, when you put it like that, when you put it like that. There's a number of different things here. Look, 28 days for mistaking a winner post. Like, I don't think that's proportional at all. Look, awful mistake to make. Has to be punished, clearly. But... Um, you 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 make mention. You can make loads of examples. You can make make mention of the Neil Callan example. Um, you could you could make mention of you know Paul Hannigan nearly committing murder at Royal Ascot and getting ten days in the whatever it was the the Norfolk or Norfolk. Castle. Um, like you look at the scale of interference bans that we see that we see dished out and 28 days for this just seems completely out of sync. You know, mostly because the interference bans are too lenient, but. Um, you, you feel very sorry for him. You know, it was a couple of strides. We can see exactly what happened. They have these two winning posts at Sandown. They have their reasons for having them there. They clearly are really bullish about them because we're seeing issues with these two winning posts seemingly every season uh, in one shape or another. Um yeah, what did you make of that tweet from Andrew Cooper on the matter, Kev? Because he said, yeah, look, I, I, it didn't really pass the smell test for me. I didn't dig any deeper about how um, it means one would be going a shorter route to the winning post. Maybe yeah. something else. It's to do with the alignment. Like, if you look, you have to kind of stand back and look, ideally from up high in the stand, that the, the alignment of the chase tracks and the hurdle tracks at, at Sandown, they are different. They approach the, the winning line at different angles, and that's why they think it's appropriate to have two winning posts from a like an angulation point of view. But Jesus, lads, they're, they're national horses. They, they come wide all the time. Like it is, while I, you know, I can see, we can see exactly why you do it, the reasoning for it and why that might be perceived as being the fair way to do it. And it probably is, but in practical terms, do you really gain enough from having a two winning post set up like that, that it costs you when it goes wrong? And it goes wrong a lot, you know, between yeah. poor, poor old Ben mistaking the winning post um, and really damaging his season. You know, I think it's 32 days altogether. He's banned for just when he's picking up momentum. Fine young rider, you know, re- that's really to his cost. You know, was it wasn't it last year or the year before that they used the photo finish from the wrong winning post? That yeah, they did an EBA final, wasn't it? Like yeah. an absolute farce, you know. You know, is, and it, I agree. is it really worth it, lads? Just put mm. in one winning post for for the, for the next couple of meetings. I I guarantee, well, I won't guarantee it, but it's highly highly unlikely that anyone ever has an issue comes in and says, "Oh, the yeah. angulation of that winning post really mm. cost me the race, there, lads." Jesus, that's <laughs> a travesty. Well, in that case, anyway, it's a bonus on the rider. If there is an advantage, then. It's not like being drawn stall one at Chester on the flat. Then you get to the inside if that's the better place to be. I mean, it, it's, jumps races, they're slow yeah. motion, man. You know, it's not. It may seem a bit agricultural, but what's to stop just covering the the winning post that's not in use in that race, sticking some tarpaulin over it or something? Just, just get rid of it. Insist on keeping it. It's just confusing. I think we just get rid of it. It's it's unnecessarily confusing. Get rid of it. You know, okay. just just run a few me run run a one a years run a years for a season's worth of races on it. I'll bet pennies to pounds that or pounds to pennies, I should say, that it isn't going to cause any issue for anyone. And it just 
removes the possibility of something stupid happening, which yeah. we're seeing with uh, kind of concerning amounts of regularity ar- around that setup. Um, yeah, that that's the logical thing to do. But how often in horse racing do we tend not to go? Uh, yes, hate love. Love to divert hate away from the logic in horse and racing. Common, and common sense um, is not very common, as we like to say. No, not not on this podcast, anyway. Um, Dan, do you want to give a mention to Love Envoy, or should we move on to Aintree? Your choice. Um, uh, there's very little I can add apart from the fact she's an absolutely splendid mare whose travels and finds in equal measure one of very few. She's the first to win the mare's novice without it being trained by Mullins, and one of very few times the mare's race hasn't, in general, but be it the old David Nicholson or the mare's novice that hasn't gone to Clus Sutton. So yeah, she she is very good, isn't she? The handicap might look like it might be generous, you know, just thinking of the quality of a Cheltenham form, and it proved to be so. Harry Fry gave it the big one, didn't he, in the finish? Did you see those celebration shots? Harry Fry? What, was he? What yeah. was he? I didn't see, what, I didn't see it, no. no I, was, my, I was conditioned this weekend to think of the only Harry celebrating was Skelton doing the aeroplane after the well, last picture. my goodness <laughs> me. It wasn't that, was it? Yeah, we'll get to that, actually. But yeah, Harry Fry, I just thought good on him. It obviously meant a lot to him. He was really yeah, nice. on the raw home and the ITV cameras picked it up and he was giving it the big one. Um, nice. Let's move up to Aintree and cover a few of the races up there. Obviously, Beach of Chase Day, but many clouds as well. The many clouds chase up there. Um, oh, I really wanted a hoist in the order to go through with it, but that's it now. I'm not jumping off the cliff anymore with him. No thank you, a hoist in the order. Meanwhile, Noble Yates, turbocharged in the finish, huge price in running, and comes home as if he's just somehow sprouted wings, quite literally. Now, 10s from 25s for the Gold Cup and sixes from 25s for the King George. I mean, Kev, let's go with you on the basis that this horse trained in Ireland, so I'm giving it to you first. But in terms of the way this this horse's profile and how he's being campaigned, as you would expect from the team that he comes from in Emmett Mullins and Co., they just sort of viewed the handbook of how to campaign a horse, threw it out the window and did whatever the hell they wanted. And isn't it so much more fun? Like... Um absolutely I yeah i just love yeah. it just from start to finish the way they've gone about this if this horse ends up being a gold cup horse which he genuinely could and is based on the betting anyway like my god what a way to go about it and i love it i'm here for it yeah like it, it has he has been campaigned like madly you know winning <laughs> winning a grand national whatever six months after his chasing debut yeah. you know s- sending the trends boys home in tatters yeah um, that, that was fantastic i was there i was very very much enjoyed that and now you know they're, they're gonna make try and make a grand national horse a gold cup horse um which you know we've, we've seen grand national horses run well in gold cups before etc um in the, in the relatively recent past but like this fella's marching forward um and this was really this was really good um like a high senor look my view kind of remains unchanged and i'm like how much talent does this fella have to be running as well as this you know whilst jumping like a snooker table um it's it's pretty impressive um look he's a ratic over fence i'd be going back hurdling with him you know, taught that after the last day, think it again here and always run better. But can he win a gold cup? Everything would need to go right 
at every jump and geez, he's, he's not just getting one or two wrong, Nancy. He's getting a heap wrong. Mm. Um, I think he'd have a proper chance in a stairs hurdle. He's riddled with talent, but these fences are just getting in his way. Whereas other to others, um, other Gold Cup horses, the fences are to their benefit, certainly relative to him. So that's that'd be my thinking with him. But nobody ate. So it was quite it was kind of a geez, sort of a moment, wasn't it? When he, yeah. he kind of came from oh, yeah, not God. necessarily looking to be going brilliantly to all of a sudden surging forward and, and putting away my my, my old flower dashel drasher um <laughs> with, you know quite readily. Um, look, he needs to come forward again to win a gold cup, but he's, he's certainly in the mix. He's in the mix and, and fair play to them. I don't know. I didn't. Um, obviously, I was on track. I didn't see what they said afterwards in terms of where I might be next. Um, if Christmas might come a little bit soon for him, you know, Irish gold cup. I don't know. Um, like you said, Vanessa, you wouldn't want to be guessing these, you know, try to guesstimate with these lads because they can do things differently and they come at it with um, with a very open mind. So I'll be fascinated to see what they do with him. But could he be a gold cup horse? Jesus, he, geez, he, might, he might just be. Oh, it would add some real spice to proceedings, wouldn't it, Dan? You'd be up for that, surely. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to say the sort of shackles are off now. Whatever the plans were last season, it culminated, whether it was a late decision or it was a a long-crafted one to win a Grand National. But we often talk about Grand National winners never winning another race. For him, it's almost like a stepping stone towards whatever his ceiling is. And the way it's going, now they've got no reason to protect handicap marks or otherwise. It does appear like he's a very lively Gold Cup contender, doesn't it? To to do that, what as Kev says, it was one of those Christ, what have I just seen moments? I mean, to see a horse at the end of towards the end of a three mile race visibly accelerate is really rare. That's Paisley Park in a stayers hurdle, if you recall, going to the last to beat Sam Spinner all those years ago. It, you can count on one hand over the course of a season. So I thought it was really impressive and. Cry, we know that he stays so well because of what he did in the national. I mean, a gold cup trip on to get some rain around in March, you'd have to have him right in the mix because he just, I don't know, what, what is the ceiling of his ability? That surge to the front suggests that even that on Saturday wasn't anywhere close to it. And Kev's right. I mean, the trends boy is in absolute despair because he is, <laughs> I mean, he's completely defying convention. And I think Emmett generally with his campaign, this horse is showing that convention isn't always the correct course of action you can do things as kingy has with edward stone uh yeah. raising him aggressively you can do things slightly out of the ordinary and it doesn't mean it's to the detriment of the horse and i think you know i just think by nature uh people in general tend to be sheep rather than shepherds and so when you know there's a sort of set path as kevin's alluded to already on this podcast that people go down um people just generally become a bit like I don't know, reluctant to go against the norm. Whereas then you get someone like Emmett Mullins sort of rowing his own boat, doing his own thing. And it just hopefully will give other people a little bit of a, oh, maybe you can do things differently. Mm. You don't have to just, there's not a rule book here. There's, you know, there's a way of doing it, but there's a million different ways. And so hopefully it just, I I love the the bit of different campaigning. It might just lead to, who knows, someone else doing something a bit different. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, On actually on the whole Ahoy Senor idea, Kev, 
actually no, I'm going to throw this to Dan. No, can I have an horse in your take? As yeah, well, you can. My, well, the point I was going to make is I think people often perceive a horse that's big and scopy over a fence. So it'd be some sort of sacrilege to go back hurdling. People mm. are like, but you know, he's got so much scope and he can really jump when he gets it right. As Kevin's touched upon, he's getting it wrong more times than he's getting it right. So never mind how much scope he's got. Loads of hurdlers would have scope as well. But mm. they're seen to best effect over hurdles. And to give him his best chance of doing something proper, surely hurdles, surely they're considering it, Dan. Yeah, the the best day in hurdling, I think, in my lifetime, maybe not in ratings terms, maybe Barracuda edged it, but the one I liked most and got most enjoyment from was Big Bucks who had a career trying chasing. It was curtailed after he unseated Sam Thomas in a Hennessy. And then he chin punches town in a handicap at Cheltenham. And the rest, as they say, was history. So there is precedent there. And just the thing with this high senior, he almost strikes as being unrideable to me over fences. Because I think Derek has so little idea what he's going to do at the next fence that it removes his ability to be aggressive at certain points and try and inject some pace. Almost like Derek's just sort of sat on him, allowing him to do what he pleases. And then after the lash, you can get stuck into him, but only once the fences are out of the way. Remember at the entry win, it was all sort of within his comfort zone, wasn't it? There was no right kicking for home. Cause I, I, I dare say Derek doesn't really fancy booting him for home. Cause you just don't know what he's going to do at the next. No, I think I, I think it's like he's one of those horses that is, is wired the wiring from his brain to his limbs is a, is a little bit dodgy, <laughs> and you know like like when you've got a dodgy connection on a microphone or, or the phone <laughs> and you kind of you're you're getting bits and pieces of the conversation but you're not getting all of it. I yeah, think there's, element, I think there's an element of that with the high senior. I think that the brain the brain isn't as good as you'd like it to be for the, for the job at hand. I think. No, he's definitely a horse that doesn't help Derek Fox look good, but it's not Derek Fox's fault. <laughs> it's... Yeah, I just think he's I just think he's so strong and yeah. in his mind and his body sort of thing that he just he just prevents a jockey doing things that he might normally do on a conventional horse. Yeah, well, look, and I know it's always controversial when you suggest the jockey change, but personally, I think a high senior could benefit from David Maxwell. <laughs> the very quiet style yeah take it to the max (laughs) take it to the max come on david this is it oh bears jim is max still awaiting his first outside ride (laughs) great moment that that woke up bear (laughs) didn't wake up bear didn't it just (laughs) did he just say david max should ride (laughs) get him off vanessa get him off the pod yeah god he needs to get off the pod um Quick mention, guys, before we wrap up the show to the likes of Enjoy that. Rex, shut up. Um to the likes that Rex. Rex is Rex, the, the dog situation in this house is not good. And Rex Crufts. It is like Crufts. Rex is a very vocal dog, and he and because my mother has spoiled him, he's doing a lot of woofing at the moment. Anyway, <laughs> let's focus back That's to Rex. the thing. Uh Saturday skeletons again. Ashtown lad this time in the beach. There is just no stopping the skeletons. Another horse that was found in the market, fancied leading into the race and delivers. Like they just keep getting it right, Dan. Yeah, their their motivations might be slightly different at times to say Emmett Mullins, who is very cloak and dagger sometimes, isn't it? But they are sort of similar to Emmett in just the ability to highlight a target. And whether that means having a run to get them spot on for it or getting them spot on for it first time out, I'd say... He's almost surpassed Nichols in that. Nichols has been famed, hasn't he, for the Saturdays, getting horses 
firing for the big days away from Cheltenham. But the fact that Skelton's doing it with handicappers, grade one horses alike, mares, mares hurdlers, I mean, they, they are such a switched on operator. I just find him very engaging to listen to. His vocab isn't the same as most trainers. He's got a good turn of phrase. He seems to think very deeply about it. He's obviously um, a very bright bloke. It's a very good operation. And case in point on Saturday, and run over hurdles, then win a beach chase, which was obviously the ultimate aim. I love it again. Different campaigning, aggressive campaigning, aggressive training methods. You know, they're fit, they're ready to rock and roll. And then they deliver on the big days and they celebrate well as well, quite literally over the finish line. Incredible scenes. Um, yeah. Hey, have- check out that picture if you haven't seen it. Like that picture really should be on that picture really should be on front pages of, of like broadsheet papers like that. That isn't that is a bloody good picture. Really, isn't it? If you, have, if you haven't seen for... it, he's literally two two hands off the reins um, As, over but... over the line. Like it's Tour de France, isn't it? At the end of a Tour de France finish. I'm just I looking love... at a picture here. I think John Grassic might have taken. I'm just looking at it here now. But it's this, incredible. Like, it's it's the incredible against picture. the sky. It's an absolute beauty of a picture. It's an incredible for picture, but typical with British racing. It'll just take somebody on Twitter to say that it was irresponsible or try put a negative pin. <laughs> I think spin. people have already said this. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they can also get in the sea with the other people yeah. that told to get in the sea earlier. I can't remember who those people were, but they are still in the Fishermen. Sea. <laughs> um, right, quick mention. Oh, no, Barry's telling me to wrap it up. I was going to say Fasal Vega, Lossy Mouth, anyone? Yeah, Fasal Vega, go. 30 seconds, um, go, yeah, Kev. Har- Hard to pick a fast old Vega jump. Like, I don't think he'll be a front runner, but he jumped out, made the run, and kept it simple. Jumping technique, you'd like it. Very little to pick at, was clever when he needed to be. Um, now, plenty of people now are calling on the second coming of Jesus Christ after this maiden hurdle win, which was a bit overexcited. We'd always a very good horse from bumpers. It was a lovely transition to hurdling. But again, deeper waters await. Can't wait to see him again in against some proper ones. But yeah, excited. Yeah, he'd be a very good second best horse in training behind Constitution Hill, wouldn't he? Yes. Behind Constitution Hill. I and Honeysuckle, the latest. I don't think Honeysuckle has been retired. So well done. They have Bravo. made a decision. So um, um, and we go to Leopardstown, hopefully. And Dan, just a quick mention on Lossie Mouth, who won the juvenile hurdle today, the grade three at Fairy House. Now three to one from 12s for the triumph off the back of that win. Wasn't the horse that the Mullins team expected to win, but it was Mullins all the same. Yeah, I think the first two emerged with a lot of credit, actually. And I think the gap might be narrowed another day, but the, the winner does so much right. The most impressive aspect for me was that jump over the last. That was like a seasoned handicapper. Landed running, got a length or two, and strong at the finish. For From being a division that Mullins didn't even seem that bothered about, he now seems to have the juveniles by the short and curly. So the rest of us are in a bit of difficulty, aren't we? And Vanessa, before we wrap up, we're going to do a quick podcast competition. You can log on to Twitter and you can post underneath when we comment underneath when we post this podcast. Guess Rex's age. That's that's the competition. We'll come up with some sort of a prize if you get it right. It'll be I'll be impressed if you do. Okay, so. go on the YouTube, everyone. This is Rex. Yeah, YouTube. There Don't you go. speculate on Vanessa's though. You'll be we got we got to drive the traffic to YouTube, Vanessa. Good thinking. Comment yeah, on drive, YouTube. Driving the traffic. What, what age is Rex? Okay, and there's a £20 free bet as a prize as well. It's just, just been nominated. This is Rex. What age is Rex? And you have to be exact now, as in two point something or, or five point something, six point something, because it's you know too, 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 you know, too easy to get it right otherwise. And closest to the actual answer gets the prize. Yeah. 
There you go. We're all going to be all this podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. Right. And on that note, on that note, bye from me and Rex. Um, guys, thanks as always, Dan. It was a joy to have you with us on this show. Um, yeah, me, I'm like home alone. I come out at Christmas time and that's it. I love it. Um, me, Kev and the gang will all be off to the HWPAs on Monday, hence why we're recording a day early. But join us again on Thursday for Racing Only Better, where we will not only reveal the age of Rex the dog, but also <laughs> some stories from the HWPAs, I would imagine. Um, but in the meantime, as always, have a good week and thank you very much for listening. <laughs>